Welcome to Pop Culture Retro, which was recently voted the 15th best podcast by the residents of the Golden Years Retirement Community in Boca Raton, Florida. Each show, we'll revisit some of your favorite pop culture memories with insider and outsider perspectives. Now, please help me welcome your hosts, Ike Eisenman and Jonathan Rosen. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Pop Culture Retro. I'm one of your hosts, Jonathan Rosen, along with Ike Eisenman. And today we are thrilled to welcome a member of the Country Music Hall of Fame, the Gospel Hall of Fame, as well as part of one of my favorite groups of all time, the Oak Ridge Boys, and also leads his family band, The Goldens. He's a painter, a photographer, and co-author of the book, Behind the Beard. Please help us welcome the Mountain Mound himself, William Lee Golden. William Lee, thanks so much for joining us today. Jonathan, good to be with you here today, and uh, thank you for having me. <laughs> well, before we begin, I, I just want to say that the Oaks have always held a special place in my heart. Uh, your music has meant a lot to me through the years, and it's one of the concerts that I went to with my dad before he passed. I've seen you probably like around 15 times, so it really is a pleasure to get to speak with you today. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you for coming out to see the Oak Ridge Boys. No, it's, uh, it's been a great ride, man. It's, uh, <laughs> I joined back in 1965. So, oh, we're uh, gonna ask about that. Yeah, well, to start with, yeah, you grew up in Alabama, I saw. So, and started singing at a really young age, and sang when your grandfather's yeah. radio show. I, I read. So, can you tell us about that show and what that experience was like for you? Well, it was uh, my sister and I. My sister was the one that had the talent in our family, and uh, she could play, and she still could play instruments, you know. I mean, she could play guitar and mandolin and uh, piano, but she loved the mandolin, and uh, she wanted to play mandolin And when I was real young. She taught me when I was about seven and eight years old how to play guitar. Uh, she taught me how to play guitar and make an abbreviated G when my fingers could not reach up to do the G chord. And uh, anyhow, then I finally got a little bit older and was able to reach the G chord and uh, make a regular G chord. So, uh, yeah, my sister Lynette, she's... Uh, and again, she taught me how to sing harmony, and you know, harmony is uh, it's it's making chords with vocally, mm -hmm. and, uh, by learning chords on the guitar and uh, playing rhythm guitar and uh, the beats and all of that. Uh, it was uh, it's always been easy for me to hear the harmony parts, and uh, when someone else just takes off with a song, you know, I just automatically hear the other chords and. Uh, and so harmony is, uh, I guess, probably what I'm most known for is uh, being a group singer. Hmm. But uh, well, it did, yeah, it started out early with me. And uh, but and Granddaddy would let us sing on his radio show about once a week. And it was uh, live music and, uh, you know, a little bit of preaching at the end or maybe talking to the people and uh but that's kind of what it was and growing up in that way and singing in the church singing in high school or grammar singing in school and school assemblies you know was a thing that we would get to do when we were young and later on our little brother joined us singing and we wound, we had a trio 
My sister played mandolin, and I played rhythm guitar. But Ronnie didn't play instruments, so uh, we had a trio. And then in high school, I got to sing in my first quartet. I sang in the FFA Quartet, Future Farmers <laughs> of America. But, uh, I grew up on a big cotton and peanut farm. My dad was a big farmer, and uh, so it was a lot of wide open space for us. And uh, being out there where you could gather your thoughts and uh, and where music, you know, was a, a it was a part of life, singing and. You know, you, you didn't just sing at church, you sang at home and wherever, but I've always loved music and singing. Well, who, who were some of your musical influences as a kid? Well, in the early years, you know, when we were real young, we, were, we would sing these old uh, country songs, country gospel songs, songs like uh, Hank Williams, I Saw the Light. These when we were young kids. And uh, Kitty Wells had a song called Matching Over the Hilltop, and we'd sing uh, Roy Acuff's song, uh, The uh, Great Speckled Bird, sing some Lugan Brothers songs and that. But then in high school, uh, when I was in like the ninth or tenth grade, I guess, uh, rock and roll kind of started hitting. It was Chuck Berry and Little Richard. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, hmm. Elvis, Carl Perkins, the whole run, and Fats Domino. I loved all of that. Hmm. Well, out of, the, out of the current incarnation of the Oak Ridge Boys, you joined, you said, been 65 before anyone else there. So how did right. you come to the group, and how did you wind up becoming part of them? Well, I was, uh, you know, out of high school, and... Uh, I was singing with a group that I'd kind of helped put together, a trio. We didn't have a bass singer. But I was a fan of the Oak Ridge Boys. And in 1962, and 60, uh, it was 1962, they recorded two albums, mm -hmm. maybe 63, but it was uh, a Warner Brothers albums, actually. It was, uh, it was during the folk era, you know, of music when you would see hoot nanny on television stuff like that they recorded an album called folk minded spirituals for spiritual minded folk and then they recorded an album called the oak ridge boys with sounds of nashville with a nashville's backdrop uh, behind their photographs there but uh and those were the two albums that really turned me on to the Oak Ridge Boys. They were young guys, and they had a sound that was uh, unique that I thought could be further than what they were playing at that time. And I was singing in a part-time, you know, a part-time group, and uh, we would get to uh, work with them on these big all-night singings when they would come down south. They'd come. There was a big all night singing at a place called Bonifay, Florida. And it was out at the uh, high school stadium out there. And it was uh, billed as a sundown till sunup singing. And they'd have like 10 or 12 groups on the show. But uh, our group would be able to sing on that. And uh, the Oaks would be there too. So kind of getting to know them. And then in Pensacola, Florida, they'd come to the auditorium there. And uh, then Mobile, Alabama. Uh, and I 
but that's far south, you know, it's uh, down on the, our farm was right on the Alabama and Florida state line. It was, uh, the spot I was born on, you could actually throw a rock over into Florida. So, uh, <laughs> it was just, there was a road that ran by our house and, uh, that road was the state line, but, uh, we lived on the Alabama side of the line and, uh, my grandfather and my uncles and aunts, most of them lived on the South side of the, uh, we didn't live but, an, but a mile or two from each other, but they lived it over in the Florida side and our family lived over in Alabama side. My mother was born on the Alabama, the Alabama side of the state line there. But, uh, and again, man, we still got the family farm down there and, Three weeks ago, I was uh, back at the farm and uh, and sleeping in the same bedroom that I grew up in. Wow. A different bed, but the same bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my mother and dad built that house uh, when I was about nine, eight or nine years old. And wow. Uh, wow. they had bought the farm and it was an old house there that we lived in for about a year or so. And then uh, they decided that's where they wanted to build a new house. And uh, so we moved out, moved down to a, a half a mile down the road. There was a at the uh, state line there, and there was a house that we moved into for about six or eight months while they took the old house down, built a new one. But again, it was music was still a part of our life. I was playing music by then. Uh, when I was eight, nine years old. So uh, it was uh, something that that my mother and dad, they nourished our uh, passion for music and our love for music and encouraged it. So it's having a family that, uh, that understands and loves what you're doing. And they were proud of us because uh, we'd have company coming over and my dad was always uh, requests us to sing songs for him, you know, and it was, uh, it was a wonderful way to grow up for me as a kid. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Well, we're certainly all uh, the better for it. <laughs> so you're, you're the one who gained, who got the others in, right? You, you got the other one that got Dwayne and Richard and Joe in. So how, how did that happen? How did you get involved to bring them into the band with you? Well, it was, uh, I was singing in the group and sometimes, you know, some guys would go and come, you know, and gospel music sometimes. Some of them don't stay around long and, uh, you know, it's, it's not always, uh, there was not a salary thing out there. It was kind of a scratching, scratching of living out as you go along. But, uh, it was, uh, times that uh, first one to come was, uh, you know, I we'd had a change in the bass singers and all a time or two, but uh, Dwayne was actually the first one, uh, our lead singer. Now it was about a year and a half after I joined the group. The the guy that had hired me was Smitty Gatlin, and he was a great, an incredible lead singer. And uh, Herman Harper was singing bass, and a guy called Little Willie Wynn. He was from Georgia. He was singing the tenor part. But uh, when the, 
which Smitty decided to get off the road and uh, about a year and a half into it. And he had an op offer to go uh, and to take a gig in uh, Fort Worth, Texas. So Dwayne was, uh, had just joined another group. He had joined a group out of Knoxville, Tennessee called the Prophets. We watched Dwayne worked in concerts with him, you know, and he was an incredible singer. And as a young guy, he was a young, young guy, a little bit younger than I was. And, uh, so we, uh, invited Dwayne to come into the group. And, uh, then the next guy that, uh, left was, uh, Noel Fox, who I had got into the group prior and uh, our bass singer had left. He decided to get off the road. And uh, so I had uh, got Noel Fox. I called him up. And he was not actually singing at the time. But I knew he had some. He was with another group that uh, had some albums out. And I, I was certainly aware of his talent. And uh, when we needed a bass singer, I invited Noel Fox to join us and he only stayed for two or three years and uh, we we cut an album while Noel was there it's called the light album and that album basically won uh, the awards in gospel music at that time and we had a band then by then we had a like a four-piece band uh, Tony Brown who was a great piano player, but he was a little kid back then when he came with us. But uh, Tony, getting ahead of myself, but Tony left us and went with Elvis. But he was uh, involved with the group when we went to California and recorded the Light album. But we used our own band there, and we... Uh, Tony brought two or three songs in that by Andre Crouch, a uh, great singer from the L.A. area. and uh, But uh, we had a great band, man. It was a really hot band. We had great players. And John Rich was on guitar, and he also played steel guitar. But he could play great electric guitar. And he was a young guy that had started when he was young and playing in clubs before he was 18. So, uh, but, and then we had Mark Ellaby on drums and, uh, Mark had studied music at Florida. He, uh, was a Vietnam vet, uh, but he was an incredible drummer, great drummer, could read music and a great drummer. Then we had a young kid, uh, Don Breland that played bass with us and, we had uh, hired Don when he was about 17 years old or so and talked to his mother and dad to let him come on the road with us. And uh, But we had a young band that was real talented. And uh, it was that band that we had in, with the uh, Oak Ridge Boys that, uh, that we recorded that light album that actually was kind of a trend-setting album at gospel music at that time. And some of the other young groups would uh, kind of, uh, 
that's where Joe and Richard came in because they had a young group up in the Northeast and uh, they were from around the county, New Jersey and Philadelphia area, but they were living in Buffalo, New York. And uh, they were singing, uh, kind of took after the Oak Ridge Boys and we'd have a new album out and they'd learn the songs on it. And mm. They'd be singing those same songs uh, where they would play it and uh Anyhow, it's, it's, but that kind of evolved to where it was uh, meeting those guys with the Keystones. Uh, Richard had left the Keystones and went with J.D. Sumner Stamps. He was, uh, they were backing up Elvis at that time. And so I thought that, uh, and Noel Fox started, he, he decided to leave as a bass singer. Well, I called Richard Sturman, and he was out there with Elvis. He had been out there for a couple of years. and uh, But they were big fans of the Oak Ridge Boys, too. Like I said, they would, would sing our songs when they would be up in the Northeast. And uh, I called Richard and invited him to join the Oak Ridge Boys. And uh, so... He come in, and uh, then about a year or so later, a year and a half later, uh, there was another change. Little Willie, the tenor singer, left, and uh, so I called Joe Bonzel and invited him to come. And, uh, so we had the group that uh, Dwayne in there, and Richard in there, and Joe in there. And that's the group that this year has been together for 50 years now. Wow. <laughs> well, you, you meant, obviously, you started out as a gospel group, but what prompted the shift over to country music back then? And was there any resistance from the group to make the change? Well, there was some resistance in uh, one or two of the guys. Uh, well, one of the guys, especially. Uh, but it was after we had the Light album. It, uh, and it won all the awards in gospel music that time. And what uh, you realize, you know, you're kind of uh, doing well in gospel music, but you also realize that, uh, that that's about as big as it gets where you're at there. And uh, we needed to expand our music because a lot of times, you know, you've got a talented group of people great singers and a great band and uh, trying to book the dates, you know, sometimes we booked our own dates and uh, our ideas and, uh, using different promoters. And, but I realized that most people only want to hear about gospel music on Sunday. And, uh, <laughs> There's uh, seven days a week here, and uh, so I felt like that, uh, you know, and there was, uh, and we were able to work with people like Johnny Cash and, mm -hmm. and those type people who go at getting on the show as a gospel group and doing 15 minutes in front of them in like Vegas and places, and then come out and join them during their show in the end when they get to doing finales and and sing with them too and uh but it was uh it was those times of uh evolving and 
Dwayne didn't want to go country. He was our lead singer. But Richard had come from working with Elvis. He saw what the big time was. Mm -hmm. We were people like Johnny Cash. And, you know, there's these are wonderful people. It's uh, great people that uh, you enjoy being around. And uh, they had such a love and respect for everybody. There was no jealousies there in country music. It didn't seem like. And uh, so sometimes, you know, in gospel, it's kind of, uh, it can be some jealousy, but I guess that happens in any kind of music. But uh, we, uh, it seemed to take a situation and we needed the right type management and agency situation to do that because everyone that we were kind of involved with, they were only focusing on gospel music and even the agency, you know, that's where they were building their uh, situation was with Don Light Talent and uh, one of the bass singers had left and gone as an agent there. and But they couldn't see past right. where they had been. And, uh, but I could see past that and I knew that there was uh, the potential. There was a lot of potential there and all we needed was an opportunity. Oh. So uh, we we got Jim Halls had come to see us at a, at a uh, Columbia Records showcase at, at the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville. And he was there. He was managing Roy Clark and Hank Thompson, Wanda Jackson, and uh, Freddie Fender and Mel Tillis and those people. And uh, he come back and gave me his card after the we had performed and he said you know if you guys ever decide you want to go beyond this uh, I'd like to talk to you so it was about a year or so later that uh, we got with Jim and he laid out a plan and he hmm. helped, we uh, signed up with Jim Halsey he was a he was a number one manager and booking agent in country music at that time and Jim is a visionary type guy. Uh, he could see, and I shared my visions with Jim, and uh, he got it. He could see it. And he had, he would say, yeah, we can do that, and that will, then for that, we can do this and this. And I mean, he would, his visions would go beyond that. He would took what we visualized we wanted to do, and he had an opportunity he had a situation that he could propel it bigger than that. And uh, so we went with him and Jim put us on opening shows for Roy Clark and then opening shows for Mel Tillis and for Freddie Fender and some of these people, Tammy Wynette and uh, different people. But uh, while he was doing that, he uh, brought, he was talking to Jim Fogelsong, who was the head of ABC Records at that time. And uh, he got Fogelsong to send Ron Chansey out, who was his uh, vice president, head of A&R there, and was a record producer. And he sent Ron to meet the Oak Ridge Boys and see our show and uh, 
Oklahoma City at the Lincoln Plaza Theater out there. And it was, uh, they'd have musical situations and programs and shows coming through there that would be dance troops and all of that stuff. But uh, it was a regular dinner theater, so uh, they had big name acts coming through there. But Ron came to see us. And he agreed that uh, he would like to produce us. And uh, so he brought us some songs and we set some time to go in the studio and one of the first songs he brought us was a song called The Y'all Come Back Saloon. He said, we got to get you away from the, uh, we need to get you away from the stereotype. Everybody thinks you're a gospel group, so we have to break through with that. And uh, so we did, and uh, that was the first single off of that Y'all Come Back Saloon album. We did a photograph out at the Bucket of Blood Saloon and, uh, and Virginia City, Nevada, out in the middle of nowhere. It's an old historical town out there, frontier town. It's a gold mining town. But we did a photo shoot there for the album cover. They set a big time photographer in there to shoot that. We were playing out there. Uh, I think we were playing at uh, maybe the, uh, the Golden Nugget or one of them out there. and uh, But we did, uh, Jim had us working these shows out where it would be at uh, Harris Place or, or uh, out at uh, John Esquaga's Golden Nugget out there. But that's where we went and did the photo for that. Well, they released uh, the El Comeback Saloon and it went up the charts. Mm -hmm. And uh, it got all the way up to number two. And it sat there for two or three weeks because there was one song that was number one that we couldn't get past it. And that was by a duo, the Kendalls. It was called Heaven's Just a Sand Away. And uh, <laughs> I thought it was ironic that that song kept uh, the All Come Back Saloon out of being number one. <laughs> Group, you know. Well, you you had you had had already a few hits when Elvira comes along, so it had already been recorded several times. Among the artists was Kenny Rogers and the first edition who recorded it. So, what was it about that song that made all of you think that you know let's do this again? And was there any resistance saying it's already been done? Let's not do it. No, it was no resistance to that, but it was not our idea, you know. It was, it mm. was a song that Ron Chancey brought in, and uh, there was a, one of the guys in Nashville that worked at one of the publishing houses that had been out in uh, Texas, and he saw a group doing this song. And somehow they were doing it and had such a feel on it and having a lot of fun. And uh, so... He come back and told Ron, said, man, you ought to cut that song on the Oak Ridge Boys. So it would be a great harmony type thing. And so they were talking about it. Ron decided to, hey, let's go cut it like everybody else. And I was a fan of the song. You know, I remember when Dallas Frazier had it out. He wrote it and had it out. And I remember, and I, the Kenny Rogers album, that was a, 
listened to it a lot back then because I was a big fan of uh, the first edition. And, uh, he had a great cut on it, and also Charlie Rich had it on the Behind the Closed Doors album that he did. And, uh, and there were some other people that cut it, but we cut it, and Ron decided that we give Richard the bass singer the Oom Papa Mau Mau. I remember the first time that we actually put it on stage. It was uh, we rehearsed it at a sound check in the afternoon, and we were playing out. Uh, and again, at that time, we'd had a few hit records in country music, so uh, we'd had three or four albums by then. Because our first Y'all Come Back Saloon album was in 1977. So, 77, with about three three singles a year, we would be releasing. And from that, we was getting a lot of traction, you know, and was doing well as a country act. But uh, when we cut Elvira, the first night we did it, we just dropped it in the middle of the show in Spokane, Washington. And uh, it was uh, mad, and, and at the end of the song, you know, that crowd went wild. They would not stop. They were going nuts out there and just hooping and hollering and just cheering and on and on. And we backed up and looked at each other and said, hey, because they would not stop. What would do? Let's sing it again. So we sang the song again. And man, at the end of it, it was the same thing. I mean, they would not stop applauding and screaming and hooping and hollering. We wound up singing it three times the first, <laughs> first night we ever did it. And uh, so the next night we were in Seattle, Washington. And again, we dropped it in the middle of the show. We didn't say a thing about it. We just sang it. And it was the exact same response the next night. And uh, and again, we had to repeat the song once or twice again. The next night, we were in Portland, Oregon. And it was the same thing. Drop it in the middle of the show. The crowd goes wild. I mean, wilder than anything else we'd done. Boy, it was <laughs> unbelievable. And uh, so after that, we called the record label and said, hey, we don't know what y'all got planned for releasing here off this new album. We just want to tell you what's happening out here in the concerts. <laughs> and if this is connecting with people here, it may have the same effect on radio. And so the label dropped it out on Radio Man and it went to the top of the country charts. It was, and it just spilled right over, man. Wow. It stayed up there and it just spilled right over and the pop music was picking it up. Kids were singing it, families singing it. And I remember back then people would bring their small kids up and hold them up. And uh, tell us it, it was the first song that they ever sang and the first mm -hmm. song they ever learned all the words to and would sing it. And it was, uh, and still we see people that's that way. They, it's the 
It's people that when they were little kids, they learned the song. Yep. <laughs> well, you know, at that time, you made an appearance on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. So, you, the, the the songs exploded, and that happens. How did your lives change after that? Well, it was uh, instead of uh, you know, we would go out. We did the Full House tour with Kenny Rogers, but we were fronting his shows, and. Uh, it was Elkridge Boys, Dottie West, and Kenny Rogers. Uh, but after the Elvira hit, we went back into the same big arenas as the Elkridge Boys hit. We went from uh, being a opening act to being a headline group back mm. then. So, uh, and again, that's it's been a, been a a year or so later, we had a song called Bobby Sue that also went up the charts and spilled over into pop music and did good there, too. So we had two within a year of each other that basically were crossover songs that helped propel us into a whole new market. Sure. And so that's kind of how we got to where we were being headliners. Well, I I know you don't have much time, so I there. Yeah, but before, so you know, we we have a ton of questions, but I know you don't have much time. So I did want to ask you about you know your book, you know, behind the beard, a great yeah. book. I, I love the book. It has so many cool vignettes in there. Uh, you know, it goes from a lot of stories with a ton of pictures. So what, what prompted you to write that? Uh, you know, the, to get this story out. Well, it was Scott England, the guy that helped write it. Uh, he he had asked me maybe four or five times, five or six times, about wanting to write a book with me. Uh, and I said, well, Scott, I'm not a writer. I don't know anybody would want a book of mine, you know. And uh, <laughs> so he said, well, man, I think you've got a story to tell, and I'd like to be the guy to help you tell it. I said, okay, well, that. I could go along with that. Well, it was during the pandemic that he called again. And uh, excuses, you know, I was always busy, didn't have time to sit down because the Oak Ridge boys were doing like 150, 160 days wow. a year on the road. And, uh, plus a few travel days on top of that. So for a lot of years, you know, I've been absentee husband and an absentee father for 150 to 200 days a year. Mm. You know, that can, it can kind of know at your conscience occasionally, you know, that uh, realizing how much your time and things that you're missing with your family and your kids growing up and they're getting, growing up. But I was always, they were not, I was never absent in my heart. It was just my physical presence there was absent. And uh, but again, it was things that you can't make a living sitting in your uh, living room most of the time. Some people can, but we couldn't. And, uh, but it was a thing of, uh, you know, being on the road. And uh, Scott England, he would come here. He started out, I 
I invited him. I was down at the family farm at the time. I was down there for a week or so uh, with my wife. And uh, so I invited him to come down, see where I'm actually from, man. I said, it feel like it would be better for you to start it here where I'm at now. And uh, he came down, and uh, I wanted him to meet my sister that lived across the road from our old home place there. And I was there staying at my mother and dad's place at the old home place because we I still have that. And, but we started the book there where I started. Viewed my sister, and uh, I told him, I said, man, uh, then he came, I came back to Nashville, and we'd, he'd come out here to the old place that I live here, and we'd sit on the front porch during the pandemic, and at that time, I was also recording with my sons uh, during the pandemic. I'd been, had a vision to do this with my family project. And get my sons back together, the ones that are musically inclined, and uh, they're extremely talented musicians and singers and uh, songwriters. And so I wanted to get the family together and uh, record again because we had toured together when I was away from the Oak Ridge Boys, but they were recording separate. I was recording separate, but I wanted to uh, put it all together and. Uh, so I was doing that during the pandemic. The Goldens. Scott, yeah, with the Goldens. And Scott would come here on, he'd come here maybe three days a week. We'd sit on the front porch for a couple of hours. He'd have a, a little pad with him with some notes on it, questions to ask me. And he'd set this little recorder down on the table between the chairs there. And we'd sit there and talk. He'd ask me questions and, I said, well, man, you know, you're welcome to talk to the, all the Oak Ridge boys. You're welcome to talk to all my kids. Get their opinion of what, who I am. He, he talked to each of the Oak Ridge boys. He found over 200 pictures. All since I've joined the Oak Ridge boys and way back before I, you know, from my being a baby in childhood, he got pictures and. He also talked to my first wife, and she got into some things that I really would, hadn't planned to get into in that book. So she told off on uh, some of my unfaithfulness and the stuff that I couldn't deny. That uh, He also talked to my fourth wife. And so uh, it's been a situation that, hey, I said, man, I'm who I am. I got to tattered past maybe but uh you're welcome to talk to anybody you want to and get their side of the story so he did and uh he put it together and i thought he did a great job you know it's sometimes it shows it shows my bad side and i guess my good side or all different sides of me if i got a good side <laughs> i'm not sure if i have a good side you do you do <laughs> Well, you know, it's like I said, it's a fascinating book. I, I loved reading it. Uh, I definitely recommend everyone to go get it again. You know, hold it up with like, there we go <laughs> behind the beard. Uh, so just if you're interested in it, 
It's uh, WilliamLeeGoldenBook.com. You can go there and find it. And uh, so that's where it's at. And our music can uh, be found. It, uh, you know, check with us about it. Well, we're going to put all the links in when we post this. And again, I, I really want to thank you for joining us. It was such a treat. Um, anytime you want to come back, in all sincerity, you're welcome back because we, you know, love to speak to you again. But, you know, it's such, like I said, I'm a huge fan for many years, uh, 40 years of over. And, and it was well, John, such a Thank you, man. And it's just good to be here on Pop Culture Re Retro. It's my first time to be here with you. <laughs> well, we appreciate it. Yeah. Well, again, I'm Jonathan Rosen, along with Ike Eisenman. This has been Pop Culture Retro. And a very special thanks to William Lee Golden. And please subscribe. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Retro, where no one was hurt during the making of this podcast.